You are listening to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast, episode number 15. You are listening to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast, where real estate debt is good, all other debt is bad, index funds are life, and retiring at 65 sounds like a death sentence. I am your host, Sarah King, solo mom of one, owner of six stores, lover of cash flow, Taco Bell, and bring the debt conversation back into this leverage-loving world of real estate. Thank you for coming, my fellow aspiring retirees. So good morning, everybody. I'm here today with Josiah Smessler. Did I get your last name correct? Rick, hey, Rick Jarman at Real Estate Old School. He was on BP and he goes, I'd like to thank uh, Josiah Smessler for getting me on the BP podcast. And I was like, oh, 250,000 people now are going to mispronounce my name. So <laughs> that is accurate. So yeah. okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And we literally yeah. just practiced this. But yeah, so this can... is Josiah. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he runs the Daily Real Estate Investor podcast. And you're on Instagram now. And we've connected over um, just listening to your podcast. Your podcast is the thing that introduced me to Rick Jarman actually with real estate old school <laughs> awesome. and then him and I have kind of become Instagram friends. He's like the yeah. grandfather that everyone yeah. needs. And we <laughs> actually have him. a funny story. It's weird how Instagram kind of connects people because we were, you know, just kind of reviewing that you've actually connected with David who does is the DIY underscore landlord on Instagram because he's out there DIYing and he's only a few hours from you. So tell me your story about how you and David connected because if you guys haven't heard David's episode, it is amazing. Yeah. I'm really excited to bring, you know, you on with a very similar story, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really crazy story. So, um, so, so I was listening to David's episode, which was awesome. And he said, uh, when I was younger, my family, um, lived as missionaries in Africa and I think it was like Zambia or something. And see, when I was younger, my family did the same thing. We lived in Tanzania for a year. My parents worked in a mission hospital there you know, I was homeschooled during that time. It was like a wild experience. You no, know, we, we, uh, I owned a little uh, baboon. Like I had, I had malaria that year. Like it oh was, gosh. it was an insane experience. Awesome. Like really transformative thing for me. But, and that like really influences my why with all this real estate stuff as well. But, um, but anyway, so I heard that and I was like, okay, that's cool. And then we both wrote like real estate. But then he said that he that later went and went back and was a hospital administrator in Democratic Republic of the Congo. Well, I worked at an orphanage in Rwanda and went into the Democratic Republic of the Congo one day. So I've actually been there. And my parents have gone back to, to Tanzania and started a hospital and are running a hospital there now. So I was like, whoa, I totally got to call this guy. On top of the fact that he lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm in Huntsville, Alabama, which is like an hour and a half apart. So I was like, I'll be, I'd totally be friends with this guy. So anyway, uh, yesterday I was in the middle of your podcast. I got in touch with him on Instagram. We, we jumped on a call and we were like laughing about all these similarities. And he was like, oh, and he's like, this is going to be really trippy, man. Listen to this. When I was born, they got my, uh, they got something, something got crossed up with my birth certificate. And he said, my mother had to come up with two different names for me. And we found my second birth certificate the other day because I had to get a copy of it. And my name was Josiah. 
<laughs> and I was like, whoa, though. wait a minute. I was like, were we switched at birth or something? It's like, my, my first name's Daniel. And uh, we were like, oh, this is crazy. So anyway, David, David's other name is Josiah, FYI. So that is amazing. Information. The anyway, similarities we're continue. <laughs> yeah, he's driving down. We're getting lunch today right after this. So you connected us, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so excited. That's the benefit of this community. I would love to be at that lunch because I think you guys are going to have a really good time because you have so much in common with how you do a lot of your systems and things. And so I'm really excited to kind of dive into that today. Well, I want to start with your story because yeah. I don't know a ton about how you got started in real estate. And I know you also have an interest in like being debt-free personally, which is my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm really excited to hear your beginning. So Yeah. Yeah. So Long story short, I'm, I'm a certified general appraiser. So I run my own appraisal business. I started off, you know, after college doing the nine to five corporate thing, working for one of the big four accounting firms, doing audit. I was working like 95 hours a week. I absolutely loathed that job. And like, it was, I was like, what have I done getting a degree in accounting and hating this work so much? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the work as the, the work environment that I didn't like. I just didn't like, I'm not a good employee. I'm not a good nine to five employee. Uh, and I, I like, some, I used to be kind of worried about telling people that, but like, I just own it now. Like I'm, I'm not a good employee and it's not because I don't like to work hard. It's because I don't like, I don't like just keeping my mouth shut and grinding away on a computer for, for 16 hours a day when I, when I've come up with a better way to do something or an idea that nobody will entertain. And it's just, I just feel like I'm like, that's not what I was created for. So anyway, I left that environment and, and started my own appraisal business today, but like shifting back once I left that accounting firm, my, one of my best friends had just left his boss and he was a licensed appraiser. I was living in Fort Worth, Texas. And he called me, Actually, I was in Rwanda. I had just left Fort Worth on a trip to work at this orphanage I was talking about earlier. And he called me and said, hey, I just left my boss. I'm going to start a residential appraisal company. What do you think about joining me? I was like, I don't know anything about appraisal, but I love real estate. And, you know, I didn't have any debt at the time. I didn't, you know, so I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. I, I wasn't married, single, like one of my best friends. So we started this appraisal business out of the back of his house after I got back from Rwanda. How old and were you? I got, I got my appraisal license. I was 22 at the okay. time. Very so exciting. I went from, I went from being like bottom of the ladder at the accounting, big four accounting firm, like going to get everybody coffee and making copies and getting paid $50,000 a year to do these ridiculous tasks. And I'm like, why are you paying me 50 grand to go get food from Chili's for you? Like, I don't, I don't get this business model. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Like, like you can, you can get, you know, Uber eats to do this or something like that. So anyway, I was just like wasting my time, but it's funny you say that because I have a good friend who, so I went to Indiana university, so IU and we have Kelly school yeah. of business. And so I yeah, was in Kelly originally school. doing that whole thing and just hated yeah. it. Like saw yeah. like people were wearing their suits, like your third and fourth years, like going yeah. to their classes. I'm like, they all look the same. It was freaking me out. Like <laughs> yeah. everyone's wearing their like black suit. And I'm like, I just feel like my soul is being crushed and I'm still in training. Yeah. And yeah. I have friends that, you know, totally went on that path. So the exact same path as you got one of the big four accounting firms did their accounting work, they're into this field, they've checked all the boxes. And I always talk about this, like you check all the boxes and then you wake up one day and you're like, I am wildly unhappy, but on paper, I'm the biggest success story ever. I'm like the epitome yeah. of what everyone aspires to when they go to these business schools. And if you have the entrepreneurial mindset, 
that kind of work kind of kills you. <laughs> oh yeah. That, and that's, you nailed it. I mean, <laughs> that was the thing is like, it's like hardwired into my DNA to be doing entrepreneurial things. And that's what was dying when I was sitting in the cubicle, not doing anything remotely creative. Um, yeah. And like the worst thing you could ever do to me is take away all my flexibility. Yeah. And I had zero flexibility and I got in that line. It was my own fault. It wasn't <laughs> the fault of the accounting firm or the job. Right. Like that was my fault. Right. But I learned pretty quickly. Okay. I'm, I'm a terrible fit for this environment. So help my friend start the appraisal firm out of the back of his house. And like a couple years later, we had this thriving appraisal business. Like I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball cap to work. And we've got all these employees working for me and I'm 22. And so I had like one of those Goodwill hunting moments where Ben <laughs> Affleck goes in and he, they're, they're trying to negotiate with him for something. And he's got those like pants on that are way too short. You know? yeah. uh, like we, I remember we, we interviewed an office manager and we had this, we had these very professional people coming in. And I remember this one lady came in applying for the job and I felt so bad for her because one of my questions and the guy that started the business with me wouldn't interview anyone. He didn't want to mess with it. So he made me do it all. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in there and I'm like, okay, I'm just want to make sure you're going to be a good fit in this environment. Do you thrive on structure or lack of structure? And she was like, I thrive on structure. And I was like, this is going to be a horrible fit for you. Cause like yeah. you're dealing with a bunch of 20 year olds. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, it was, I felt kind of bad, but you need Flash someone forward. almost young at that point that you can kind yeah. of train up that yeah. will fly by the seat of their pants kind of when you're in that age group where you're yeah. learning by fire. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So long story short, I got my appraisal license then, ended up upgrading it to certified general, which means I can appraise commercial or residential. And I, I worked at one point for CBRE, that's largest real estate services firm in the world, Fortune 500 company, but I was on their appraisal team, much more flexible job. I was, a, I was the apartment specialist on the valuation team. So I was going out and appraising all the apartments and I was doing a lot of the mobile home park valuation stuff. So anyway, I did that because I want to own apartments. And so that kind of gets us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. um, I built a, a 20, I have a 20 property portfolio worth about 4 million bucks and it's all one to four families. So I started there, but what really ties into your show is the fact that my wife and I were, were, were very, sincere and earnest about being debt free before we did this. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big proponent of like, you know, and I put this on Instagram this morning, but if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. So like debt free to me is, is not saying that you couldn't have a car loan and still pay your bills, right? Debt free to me is like showing a responsibility that you're able to, you're able to take the money you have, live below your means, pay off stuff that's going down in value and invest the dollars in a place that's going to go up in value and multiply. And so like people get hung up on like, Oh, should you have, should you have a mortgage? You know, should you have a car loan at 0%? Should you all this? Like to me, it's more a function of the logic behind, okay, I can afford that, but should I, should I purchase that or should I repurpose those dollars to another place that's going to grow for me exponentially? And that's like, I invested in the stock market. I invested in real estate. My stock market stuff did good from time to time, but also did bad from time to time. My real estate stuff, the portfolio has pretty much been just awesomely successful. And I just decided, hey, this, is, this one thing is outpacing all this other stuff. Why in the world would I continue to throw a large portion of my assets into this other basket when I'm doing so well in real estate and I also love it? So 
that's kind of where I am today. Like, you know, I, I'm a real estate investor. I run a real estate podcast. It's the daily real estate investor. I love real estate. It's a hobby. It's a job for me. And like, since I left the nine to five world and do the appraisal thing and also run my investment business, like, I don't feel like I work when I get up, like I get up excited and it's work. I probably work more than I ever did before, but it didn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. That's the goal. So are you and yeah. your wife considered like FI at this point then? Do you live I, off? I, because yeah. you have your day yeah. job too, but can you live off your properties? I guess is why. So this is interesting. This is an interesting question. We can live off our properties, but we're not living off our properties. Right. Okay. Like, most and, people don't actually tap it, but could you, I guess yeah. is the question. <laughs> and, and here's, here's why, here's why. If we did live off our properties now, we wouldn't be able to reinvest that capital. Yep. So we've made the decision together that although our properties are kicking off good income, like our properties right now, all of my properties are, are I have single families. I have 18 single families and one duplex. So that's 20 doors, right? Mm -hmm. All of my properties are worth $200,000 or more. So sometimes you hear like, oh, and a hundred doors but yeah. the hundred doors are worth, you know, 30,000 a piece that that's a, you know, you can do the math, but 20 doors at 200,000 is 4 million. So, and they all cash flow about 200 bucks a month, net of all operating expenses, debt service, repairs, reserves, all that stuff. So we're at about 48,000 a year. We could, that, that can pay our bills, but what we, what we're doing instead is taking the 48 K continuing, I'm continuing to work at home for myself. My wife runs her own counseling business, which we got her set up for. She's making like three times what she did before when she worked for someone else. She's happier. She's got more flexibility. And we're just pouring all that investment capital into more investments to try to supercharge this. So that, yeah, that's, that's kind of awesome. where we are. Yeah. Where, how'd you meet your wife and how'd you end up in Huntsville from Dallas? That was the other question. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I met my wife through a friend, um, that was, that was working in the same place with her. And, um, I drove down and like hung out with everybody and we met and I was like, this girl's awesome. So uh, what really sold me on her is she was working, um, she was working with a homeless program on the weekends down there. And I went and I, cause I was involved in homeless ministry as well when I was in Fort Worth mm -hmm. and I went to this homeless ministry and she was the only girl down there, a bunch of other men with, you know, involved in the, in the ministry service, as well as it was a ton of men down there being, you know, being helped and stuff. And like, she was the only woman down there and I, and I saw like she had a heart of gold. And so I was like, this is an awesome person. Like this is the kind of person I could do life with. And you know, so the rest is history there. But, um, but that kind of leads into my why. My why, why am I wanting to be financially independent, debt-free, buying investment properties, trying to supercharge my income and stuff. It's like, I want to grow my wealth to the point that I can give a lot of money away and not even notice it's gone. So that's yeah. ultimately my goal. Yep. Do you guys still do that ministry or are you, what is the current Wait, so <laughs> Hey guys, sorry for the interruption, but I really wanted to come on here and talk to you about the management program that I use to manage my real estate properties. And it is called Avail. If you have not heard me talk about it, I'm extremely obsessed with it because it is like cozy on steroids. So I do all of my tenant screening through there. I can do background checks. I can do criminal checks. I can do eviction record reports. You can have the tenants pay for their own background checks. And you can also push your advertisement for your properties out on various platforms. And once you get it listed, people can apply. You can add custom questions to your pre-screen. And then once they're in you know, the system and you've chosen your tenant, 
They can do all their rent collection through there. They can put their security deposits in. They can show proof of insurance. And my absolute favorite part, which is really hard to find, is it is a one-stop shop because I can do all of my lease forms electronically. Goodbye paper. This is my favorite thing, especially as a real estate investor that has aspirations to be a passive investor. I want it all to be able to be handled on my phone. And I can do that with Avail, which is awesome. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend pop over to Instagram, go in my bio, click on the link, and right at the top, you're going to see my favorite, you know, landlord software right at the top called Avail. Please go check it out. We, on an ongoing basis, support four orphans that are in Africa. And I did that because, you know, when I lived there when I was younger, I learned Swahili so I can speak Swahili that, you know, we support four, four kids in a Swahili speaking country. We do that, but we don't do the homeless ministry anymore because we've got three kids at home. Yeah. You're in the little phase too. We're in the little phase. Yeah. We've got a six-year-old, five-year-old and three-year-old. And so (laughs) we feel like a lot of, like after we're done working, like we're trying to do a lot of family stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's, I don't really feel like it's that like time in our life, but I could see myself involved in that in the future when our kids are older. Right. So. You're at the age where you want to be present and they take all your focus. My daughter is just past one and she's so active and like climbing oh, yeah. everything. And so oh, man. Yeah. you have that times three. So I can imagine that yeah. takes a lot of your resource. People always talk about, you know, compounding money and time being your most limited resource. Well, in a very strange way, I, I think you can also, now hear me out. Yeah. I think you can also compound time. Okay. And it's, and it's by this logic, if you spend your time right now making capital that you invest to free up your time in the future that's mm-hmm. giving you more time on your time right? right if you spend if you spend all your time right now doing homeless ministry you can't you can expect to be very fulfilled with what you're doing to help others but you can also expect in the future to have the burden of having to pay your bills by going to work right, right. so you can you can't, you can't ever create extra time literally, but you can create time freedom by investing your time well right now. Right. Because you and your wife could set yourself up for like in five years, like neither of you needing to necessarily work. And then you could spend entire days doing any kind of ministry you want if you choose to do that. Now you and I get addicted to real estate. So I don't know if we'll ever step out of it because it gets a little fun, but I, I don't, I don't ever see myself not doing real estate. Even like I, I look at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. They're like, 89 and 96. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if, if I'm blessed to live that long, I think I'll still be doing real estate. I just yeah. like it that much. So I worked with a physician who said, who was, I think 89 and still working in like high risk pregnancy. And he's <laughs> like, well, I hate golf. My wife got really sick of me being retired for one year. And I found out that as soon as people stop working, they die. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, I'm going to keep exactly. working forever because you kind of wear yourself out. And yeah. he's like, I, my mind is still sharp and I'm going to keep doing it. So it's like Warren guy. Buffett said, yeah, it's like Warren Buffett said, you know, if, if I could um, get a window into where I'm going to die, I would just avoid going there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, so talk yeah. me through your first house you ever bought. Do you okay. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first house I ever bought was unknowingly a house hack. So there you go. Bought, moved to Fort Worth right after college, had this accounting job. I, and this is, I'm, I'm, you may have some listeners are in this situation. I came out of college, was very financially responsible, had always paid my bills on time, had savings, had literally no debt didn't have any credit card debt, didn't have anything. 
and I went to, I found a house I wanted to buy. I had a good W2 income. I was about to start and I found a little $105,000 house in Fort Worth and just an average neighborhood, not far from where I was going to be working. And I went to get a loan and they were like, you don't, you didn't qualify. And I'm like, why? And they said, well, you don't have any credit. I was like, what do you mean I don't have any credit? Like I've had utilities in my name and all this other stuff. Like I had absolutely no clue that I should have been thinking about this in college. And I didn't have one class that told me to think about this stuff. This is insane to me. Which is funny because Uh, your major teaches you that you should be good with money. (laughs) Exactly. They teach you to be good with money, but they don't teach you what to plan for in those accounting classes. Yeah. There was no personal finance course, which was insane. So anyway, I was like, okay, well, I got to build credit. Um, so what do I need to do? So best thing I came up with was I went and got like a $2,000 loan from a credit union mm-hmm. and I stuck the two, I opened an account there and it stuck the $2,000 in the account and I auto paid the $2,000 loan back from the account, from the money they had lent me and like stuck an extra 30 bucks in there to pay the interest and it auto paid back. And in six months I had like a really great credit score. So that's a really uh, good yeah. debt credit building tool because people think you like have to get credit cards and do all these fancy no. things. And yeah. I keep my credit consistent because I keep two cards that I use for travel and I put like one item on each of them. Like I auto pay yeah. in full, like I do that. Netflix or Hulu and then something like that just to kind of keep a revolving line going, but always paying it off. And so I always have a high credit score, but I'm not a big user. Yeah. We got our credit score yesterday and you got to keep in mind, like I have 20 properties and you know, I've done so many home renos and we can go into how we financed all that stuff. But my credit score is like around 800 now. And so like, you know, managing your credit is like super, super important because every time you go to get a loan, they're pulling that credit. And a lot of these bankers, like, you know, if you come in the door with a good credit score, they already have a good idea that you're going to pay them back, right? Mm-hmm. If you come in the door with credit problems, they're automatic. The deck is automatically stacked against you. It doesn't mean you can't get the loan. It's going to be much more challenging for you. So like managing your credit, especially early on, even when you're just doing one deal, it's still a big deal, right? So. And probably a bigger deal in the beginning because you can't really yeah. show that you have a track record of any kind where you exactly. can say you've been successful before. And yeah. it's really hard coming from the world of Dave Ramsey because that's where I began. And because you learn, you learn to hate credit scores. So you're like, I did a great job. I, again, checked yeah. all the boxes of how you're supposed to manage money. But if you have this entrepreneurial spirit and you want to do real estate, your credit starts to matter. But then I think yeah. people kind of approach credit backwards where they think they have to do all these fancy things or these credit repair companies. And really, right. you know, like you've just showed us, keeping no personal debt on hand, you know, maybe responsibly using a very specific line of credit and having a plan for it. Like you took out a $2,000 loan, but you knew I'm going to pop a little extra money in there and auto pay the interest. I love automation. You like makes my heart happy to automate, you know, (laughs) same here. Automatic thing. Yeah. Automate, know yourself well enough to know that you're able to forget and automate the crap out of everything. That's what I, that's my advice. So there's a lot of people out there afraid of automation. And I think that's how the world goes around. I don't like, I don't have the bandwidth or time like to scale and do what I'm doing without automating a lot of stuff. It gets, yeah. And it gets even more important as you start getting more things going, because you can imagine when you've got 20 payments on 20 different properties due, and then you've got you know, utilities and, you know, for stuff that's sitting vacant, like if you don't automate, it could become a, a big mess. Right. So, Ooh, how do you do your bookkeeping? This is my, since you're, you have a little bit of background in this. 
<laughs> so I was listening to your last podcast, you know, we're talking about bookkeeping and I was thinking about my own. So it's funny you asked this question. Um, so I, so I'm an accountant, right. And I'm also extremely frugal. I, I went, when it comes to like spending money in ways mm-hmm. that I think are, are going to zero. So I, I keep up with my, all my own bookkeeping on my appraisal business myself in Excel cost mm-hmm. me nothing. And then my wife's stuff, she has a manager. She has a, um, a practice manager that manages her business as well as several other counselors that does all her bookkeeping for her with just a fee that comes out of her gross income. And so that's giving, given to us like itemized at the end of the year. And then with my investment properties, they're all, well, 95% of them are third party managed and they give us accounting for everything that goes on. And then the three that we manage ourselves, we do our own books on that. So literally I use Excel. That's pretty much it. And everything else like that's coming from third party managers. They've got it all in there that they're supposed to. So I spend like, Per year, I would say time-wise spending on accounting, I may spend a grand total of like 10 hours doing accounting. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to do it a quarter. Usually ends up like twice a year where I spend like an evening catching up my books. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, like probably, probably six of those 10 hours is when it's tax time, me just putting everything together and and putting a bow on it and giving it to my CPA. Yeah. I do think that's one good thing that came out of business school is my passion for Excel and being able yeah. to do fun things with spreadsheets. Like that's one thing. If you, Excel's yeah, the you, bomb. Can, you can recognize the Excel love behind a lot of people's portfolios. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, um, yeah, I'll get in Excel and build out all these scenarios and stuff and like geek out on like, look at this. If I get 3.5% compounded over 25 years on this 4 million, it turns into 12 million, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's why real estate makes you wealthy. It's just the time value of the compounding that's existing, you know? So I also love that you talk about it being a long game a lot. Yeah. It's so important because people just want to, I don't know, there's so much hype around Burr and all these things and like doing it fast and no money down deals and a hundred deals a year. And you're a really big yeah. proponent of the long game, like yeah. long and slow. It's a journey. And then also not worrying about the number of doors. I like could have reshared one of the posts you did, I think last week, like 27 times because I was just like, yes, thank you for pointing out that doors are irrelevant. Yeah. Doors are irrelevant. And you know, people love to talk about how many doors they have. And like I was saying, it's, it's like talking about how many baseball cards you own without knowing the players (laughs) or the card, like the, the cards are talking about, like I own 2000 basketball cards. Well, that's great. You know, are they Michael Jordans or are they like Manute Bowl? You know, so right. it's like, uh, you gotta like, we need some specifics here on all these doors you're talking about. Cause a lot of times you hear it in syndication and what people are doing is they're putting together a syndication or they're just part of one. And there's like 10 people involved in the general partnership and the general partnership owns 30% of the overall deal. And so you take 30, you know, 30% divided by 10, these guys own 3% of a hundred doors. Mm-hmm. So they own three doors. Right. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> which not is still good, exciting. which is yeah. still good. Right. But they need to, instead of saying like, I own 10,000 doors, you know, when they're like owning 3% of that deal, they need to be more forthcoming. I own this, but I'm have a fraction of this kind of thing. Right. So, or just be like, I have a big passion for syndication. Like I would love to learn yeah. about that topic because I know yeah. nothing about it, but the door yeah. number, the longer you listen to podcasts, the less door number impresses you. Totally. <laughs> totally. You start I'm to about learn. the value. Yeah. Yeah. And that, like that's people's cash flow for a door also really varies. And so there can be people with tons of doors and they're like investing for appreciation. I'm like, you're playing yeah. a whole different game than I'm yeah. playing. I need money. 
like yeah. cash flow is the goal. So because when you're right. on the fire path, that's kind of one of your things that matters. And really yeah. I plan to do it similar to you where, you know, the property is self-sustained and I can, once the business gets to kind of like my lean fire number, it's buying the properties and kind of keeping the machine going. Right. So, yeah. We realized that early on because we were like, we started off doing what most people do, right? Which is the $50,000 houses that cash flow really well. Yep. Supposedly cash flow really well. <laughs> Um, we got the $50,000 house. We had vagrants breaking in and stealing stuff. We had, you know, we just had a number of issues that we hadn't had since when we had properties that were a little bit nicer. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, since we have 20 doors worth 4 million now, 200,000 a piece, it would take four of those $50,000 houses to have one of these $200,000 houses. Mm -hmm. So I would need 80 doors right now to have the same portfolio value of 4 million bucks if they're all worth 50 instead of 200. So I quickly learned like there's so much inertia with these one to four family deals and just getting a deal done, getting it rehab, you know, the financing, the refinance, the getting, you know, getting it rented. That whole thing takes so long that like doing 80 of these, I was like, I'd rather shorten this whole thing, have more value in each deal. So I'm maximizing my time spent. And then once I get to 20, I'm going to put a cap on the single family and I'm going to start looking for multifamily. And that's kind of where I am now hunting these apartment deals where I could get a hundred doors at once. So very interesting because I yeah. love the single family niche that one to four doors where you can still do kind of any kind of financing. So yeah. have you gotten rid of all your like $50,000 property and kind of upgraded yeah. over the years? I don't have any $50,000 property. My cheapest property is worth, I guess, 110. And I bought that for 45. One <laughs> That's of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite properties. I got it for 45. I went and did work on it myself. And I, I think I put $10,000 into it. And I've had, I've had that property rented. The first tenant that rented it is still in there and they never complain about anything and they're taking care of it. And every year they come back and they're like, do you want to raise the rent on these guys? And I'm like, no, I love yeah. these people. <laughs> yeah. I don't want, I don't want to like irritate these people trying to get an extra 25 bucks a month when they are taking great care of my property. They never complain. Like there's value in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've kept their rent the same and I realize I'm leaving a little money on the table there, but a one month of vacancy will cost you a lot compared to just keeping your tenants happy. Yeah. So that's another thing I've learned is like, good tenants, you really want to keep them and you might be willing to take a little less in rent to get great tenants in there. Yeah. We have a family in one of our properties. I just love them. And so I've been thinking, I'm like, I really don't want to raise their rent this year because yeah. they've just done such a good job and they've been so nice and communicating all the way through COVID yeah. and letting me know what their jobs are doing and always paying the rent on time. They auto pay. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, please never leave. <laughs> you yeah, can exactly. stay here as long as you want. So, yeah. but I think they um, are in the process of starting their own business. And so I'm hoping I can like get a few more years while they're kind of in those startup years and they don't have kids. Yeah. So that's well, kind of the dream. The, no turnover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the, the folks that rented this place are a young couple and the, I, yeah, I know the rent cause I'm, it's my house. The rent is so cheap. I'm pretty sure they're doing the FI thing themselves. And they came to me at one point after being in there two years and asked for me to lower the rent 25 bucks a month. And I pulled the rent comps and I'm like, my, my rental company's advising that I raise the rent on you guys 45 bucks a month. I'm happy just to keep your rent the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And they said, 
done. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I said, I, and I admire you for trying to get the, the rent lowered, but like, I'm, right. I think I'm a little bit below market right now, but I, I love you guys. I want to keep you there. And they were like done, but it make it gives me, it gives me joy to know that like, I think they're doing the FI thing as well. And I think they're making good choices because their rent is cheap. And I know they, they're working professionals. They're making a good bit more than they're spending on their housing. So good for them. That's awesome. That makes your heart proud when you always. Yeah, exactly. And so walk through being appraiser would be a really interesting thing. I was so fascinated (laughs) because I'm like in the middle of this house hack and just trying to think of like all the little ways to add value. When you go through properties, do you look at things different because of your appraising experience? Do you think? I do. Yeah. I always look at each potential investment deal through it, through the eyes of an appraiser. It's just been beaten into my head at this point. So, um, but you know, I mean, I, any investment deal I'm looking at, I always want to know comps. I want to know sales comps, rent comps. That's extremely important. So you can really, where you can really screw this whole thing up on the burst strategy is like yes. getting your ARV wrong. Right. So if you get your ARV wrong, even just a little, you're going to be coming to the table with cash and the X factor in all this. And I was just on bigger pockets just had me back for another episode and they did a and a with an appraiser and it hadn't even come out yet, but mm-hmm. they just hammered me with appraisal questions the entire time. And one of the questions was, you know, what happens when your appraisal comes, comes in low. And I told them like, I'm an appraiser and my appraisals still come in low when I'm an investor. Right. Yeah. So like I can have my comps and I can have all the numbers nailed down and all this. And I get some old persnickety salty appraiser that comes in super conservative and it's like, it's out of my hands, but there are some things you can do to give yourself a good chance of it not coming in low. You can't influence an appraisal value or an appraiser because they're an independent third party. But what you can do is supply them data. Mm-hmm. It's going to help them do their job well. So I always, I always advise anyone that's dealing with an appraiser on the front end to itemize a list of all the repairs you've made along with the cost of those repairs, as well as give them information on the purchase price, like anything that's relevant to value, like put that in a PDF and email it over to them and say, Hey, I bought this thing distressed. This is what I've done to it. You know, my, my strategy is the burst strategy or value add. Like I like buying distressed stuff, getting it fixed up, fixed up, getting it refinanced and hanging on to it and renting it out. That doesn't tell them anything about the value you need, but they know like, okay, they did these things because of the, of the entrepreneurial incentive of having some equity left at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they're also going to be able to see, okay, you bought it for 80, you put 20 in it. So I know you're in it for at least a hundred plus holding cost, And, and then you can also say, you know, and I also found these comps. You don't have to tell, I mean, they don't have to use your comps, but you can, you can provide data to them that you found then is relevant. Like in your neighborhood, you send all that stuff over to an appraiser. They may not take and use your comps, but they've at least got data on what you did. If you don't send them anything and they go into your house and it's fixed up, they don't know. They don't know if you bought it that way or if you've put five grand in it or 25 grand, they don't know what's going on. So give them information. It, it helps them a lot. It's definitely interesting. I never knew you could supply your own comps, which is interesting. Now, will they you, use it or you not? You can supply them. You can, yeah, you can supply them whether, whether they use them or not. That's another, that's another thing, but you can give them some, you can say, Hey, you know, here, here's what I spent on the property. And here's, here's some comps that I've been looking at. I'm trying to think if I was an appraiser, which I am not, but again, like if you're really, really busy, it might be helpful to have comps if they're decent. 
Well, another, another way it's good is an appraiser is also not going to want to miss something, right? right? So an appraiser is always going to go pull their own comps. It doesn't matter what you send them. They're always going right. to pull their own because an owner is always typically going to think their property is worth more than it really is. That's right. just kind of like across the board generally. Um, but an appraiser is also going to say, okay, these are the best four comps I can find. And they're going to look at what you sent and they're going to be like, found that one. Don't like that one. It's too far away. Not similar. Ooh, that one looks interesting. Why did I miss that? And they may discover, okay, that's not in the neighborhood, but the neighborhood here is is kind of it's kind of one of those neighborhoods where there's like ten different neighborhoods melted into one. Right. And they're like, oh, this one's close. And I just searched based on the neighborhood and like this one I actually want to use. And so they may not have found that comp otherwise. So it's much better to do that on the front end than it is the back end and try to get them to like revise their value or something. That's just it's almost fruitless to even try to do that. So so when you're going through your properties, what are the big areas where you add? I know everyone hypes about like kitchens and bathrooms. Where yeah, do you definitely. really focus when you do a renovation and remodel? Kitchens and bathrooms are huge. I mean, it's amazing what paint and, and just fresh flooring will do for a place. Like you could literally take a place that's just ripped up. As long as the electrical is working and plumbing's working, you could literally take a place and just like paint the walls and like put fresh like luxury vinyl plank or carpet or whatever you want to do and it's like it looks like a different place so like you know getting the getting the paint updated and the flooring and then kitchens and bathrooms and also not it not over improving your property right you don't want to you don't want to have a, a property in a seventy five thousand dollar you know on average home neighborhood that you're putting granite stainless steel and all the stuff that the tenants don't require to rent the property because you're not going to get the return on investment you want there. It's so true. Yeah. And I think, um, it's amazing the power of like white cabinets because it doesn't take that much time to refinish like most cabinets because yeah. where I live golden Oak is the standard in most properties and, mm. but everyone else is watching HGTV and DIY network where it's white kitchens all over the place. And I don't think that's mm. a trend that's probably leaving soon. So that's yeah. big around here with the higher end kind of market love, in rentals. Yeah. I love, I love the light and bright approach. And that's when we, we do flips and even renovating my rentals, I try to have the paint on the walls be light. Like we typically do like the, the light gray and then with white trim. And then I, I do the, I do the cabinets white. And if I have granite, it's a lighter granite as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like the place just looks brighter. And another thing about when you, when you update a place and make everything brighter and lighter, it feels like it has more space. It That's really a big does. Deal too. Yeah. yeah. And I, so many people love dark paint and I don't know if that was like a time uh, period, the, the things I'm remembering, <laughs> but I'm like, Oh my gosh, stop painting everything burgundy. It's terrible. Yeah. You exactly. feel like you're in a cave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you too is how estimating rehab costs because I keep getting this question a lot, um, where people are just starting out. And I think it's funny because a lot of podcasts you listen to people are just like, Oh yeah. And then you have your ARV. But like you said, it's hard because you have to get accurate at that. So I think, you know, getting how much you should remodel a property is important. So do you have any strategies or tips for people on how to know you're getting good rehab costs or how to estimate those costs? Yeah, I, I think it depends on how, how neurotic you are <laughs> about knowing how much it's going to cost, right? If you're extremely nervous about your renovation, you, you need to get the contractor in there, have them give you a written budget. And then, and I would even say maybe several bids 
to see how they stack up. And then you need to also add in a contingency that's even more than what they're telling you because they're going to find something else they don't know about that's going to have to be done. It's frustrating if you've never done it before, but you can almost just count and count on and expect it. If you do a lot of these, almost every single time they come up with something that they've found that needs to be done. It's legitimate, right? So, um, I got to a point with mine where I could just look at the property and know this is like a $20,000 reno, or this is a 30 or 40 or 50, you know, and obviously the more distressed and beat up it is, it's going to cost a lot more, but I kind of developed that from doing a lot of these deals and doing a lot of rehabs and getting comfortable with it. So I started with one. The first one I did was a foreclosure and I did a lot of the work myself and then I, I had contractors come over there and just made note of those costs per square foot, what I did. Then my next one, it's like, it was a little more beat up and I got burned several times, you know, on renos as well and learned some hard lessons. Like we've had contractors steal from us. Um, and every time, you know, I heard this on another podcast, I totally agree. Every time I can identify something I did and or something I did not do to make it my fault. Like yes. the contractor's stealing from you. They're obviously doing something unethical. Like that's on them. But I set them, I, I did not protect myself from them stealing from me properly. Right. right? So yeah. I, 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 I developed a level of trust with them too soon where they sent me a picture of all the progress and I wasn't there and they asked for a draw and I sent them the draw and then I go in later and they've taken a picture of like one tenth of the stuff they've done and all yep. the other stuff's not there. And they burn me and never again, it's never happened again. Right. So, but like the real estate will teach you some hard life lessons on yes. like just due diligence and stuff that like you're going to learn either the hard way or you're going to take advice and do it up front. So, but like the rehab cost thing, like honestly, I was harder on rehab cost up front. And then I, I got contractors I got comfortable with. We did some work together. They proved themselves. And I got to a point where I really trusted what they were telling me. And I would also verify and stuff. So there's a book called uh, by Jay Scott on flipping houses that's got different level rehabs broken out, which if you want like a dollar per square foot, I believe in that book, he lists out, you know, if you've got like a 2000 square foot house, that's a, that's a heavy rehab. You should factor in $30 a square foot or something. If it's a moderate rehab, it's $20 a square foot. And if it's a light rehab, it's 10 a square foot. He's got stuff like that in there. That's really good for this kind of question. Um, but I got comfortable where I, I just felt like I know I can do this for 20 or less. And, you know, so that's kind of how I was rolling with these things. Right. And I think I'm still in the DIYing a lot of stuff because I don't have that many properties yet. And so I'm just starting to outsource more. And so it's kind of a weird world of, you know, this is my budget and I want to keep it tight and trying to DIY some of it. And I think it's kind of a, it's an interesting place to transition, but I, you talk yeah. a lot about like systems and needing to, I wrote down a quote of yours from one of your podcasts. I'm trying to think where, where you don't want to work inside the business. You want to work on your business. And I thought that was such a valuable Huge. insight. Talk yeah. about your systems a little bit or how you, how'd you figure this out? How'd you figure out you don't want to keep working in there? Yeah. So that's, that's straight from Michael Gerber from the E-Myth Revisited. If you haven't read that book, go read that book right now. One of my favorite books. And like the takeaway, if you don't want to read the book, the takeaway is don't, you know, work on your business and not in your business. Right. So what that means, it sounds like mumbo jumbo maybe, but <laughs> what that means is 
you need to be, you need to, you need to be the person that's building the systems and executing the strategy um, instead of the person in the business doing the literal work, right? So mm-hmm. take McDonald's. McDonald's is a perfect example. Michael Gerber talks about McDonald's all the time. The first McDonald's, they went, started flipping burgers themselves. It was very inefficient. There were long lines of people who'd get their food. Maybe it might, it might take, you know, 30 minutes and they thought it was fast, right? Because the other restaurants were serving stuff. It may take an hour to get your food, right? So they thought, oh, this is fast food. Well, then McDonald's built out a system, which was what they used for their franchisees, which was, this is how the burgers are made. There's an assembly line here. And this is the processes you follow, you know, to get the fries done, get the burgers done, to get the mm-hmm. food to the customer quickly and all this stuff. And they built a system that was repeatable and scalable. And that's what you have to do in your real estate business to really start experiencing efficiency and to give you time freedom. Like if you're, if you own, 20 properties like I do, and you're managing them yourself. This is just my opinion. If you own 20 properties and you're managing them yourself, you are working in your business, right? Yep. Because you're the one going out and fixing, and you're the handyman and you're the, you're going out and fixing the property. You're getting all the phone calls. You're doing all the accounting and your time freedom's not there. Right. And you still may make a lot of money. I'm not saying you won't. I've got my uncle owns properties and does everything himself. And he's really proud of it but he's got three properties and he stopped there because it was wearing him out. Right. So, and I said, I asked him, I was like, why don't you have a manager do all this so you can go get more properties and not be stressed out? And he was like, Oh, I just, I just like tinkering with stuff, you know? And so like, if you just mm-hmm. like it, like I get it, but if, if it's about efficiency and scaling, you're going to have to figure out how to, how to get some of this stuff off your plate. You know what I mean? Right. Now, if you're like David and you're building a management company, that's a source of income that can give you, financial freedom. So that's a different thing, right? But if you're just trying to scale and you've got a nine to five and you're managing everything yourself and you're doing all the repair work yourself and you're like, your time is not your own. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm big on that. Yes. And I think it's again, like buying yourself a job versus buying the lifestyle and figuring out what motivates you. Like when you talk about your why, like wanting to give, wanting to do all these, you know, things with your family and kind of all these other endeavors, you have passions kind of outside of this. And so you need to build it where you're on the outside of the business, managing the team because so many people get real estate wrong because they think they need to be handy. And I think that's like the biggest thing. Um, I was really, so my early introduction to real estate and figuring out I could do this was listening to Paula Pant because she was talking about how she's not handy at all. She doesn't really DIY anything, but she builds teams and you can manage teams. And I was like, like you think you need That's, to be the person that knows how to fix the toilet and do the plumbing yeah. and do the repairs, but really no. it's systems. If you want to build a life that gives you the freedom. So I, yeah, I would even make the case that you're worse off being good at that stuff. Yes. Because you will have a tendency to try to go in there and do it all yourself. Right. Yeah. I was, I had a, I had a, like a blessing in disguise, which I'm not handy either. Like I'm like, I'll go over there and like try to put in a new toilet and be messing with it and it doesn't fit right. And it starts leaking from the bottom. And I like, I'll just like, I have a tendency to want to just kick the thing. Right. right? <laughs> so I'll just be like punch a hole in the wall. if like, I can't get something done. And I'm like, you know what? It's not worth my time. It's not worth my, my energy on this. I can go make over a hundred bucks an hour doing appraisal work. Why would I not pay my handyman who's charging me $20 an hour or 15 bucks an hour? And he's good at this. Yeah. Like he does a 
10 times better job on this than I would. He's even probably when done I do 30 it, right. toilets versus me yeah. watching a YouTube video. Yeah. And it'll take Not him 15, <laughs> 15 minutes. It'll take me an hour and a half. And like, I'll be like, so frustrated, you know, um, <laughs> Wedge but I'm like actually angry. Yeah, I'm actually like that's something I always tell people like I'm not very handy, but I am really I'm a really good operator and I'm really good at strategy and I'm really good at putting teams in place and managing that. Mm-hmm. And like you got to like I, I think I think in real estate it behooves you to be better at one thing than another. Yeah. So like if you're handy, that's great. But like also figure this thing out so you can work on your business and not in it because if you do all the work yourself, it's going to limit your scaling ability. You were going to partner with all of your properties. This is, this is kind of cool. I bought, I built this $4 million port, portfolio with not $1 of my own money. So I used all other That's people's amazing. money to do this. And people love to talk about, you know, oh, I get other people's money and blah, 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 blah. Like to me, I never even thought of it that way. I'm more, I just, my, my friend had a really big income and I had just started my own business. So I had money that I had saved in reserves. And like, I had sold all of my real estate made a good bit of profit off of that back in like 2008, mm-hmm. right before the market crashed, I sold everything, made good money on it. And then when I got married, I paid off my wife's student loan debt. We paid off her car loans. We paid off everything. And we, and I, I also got my MBA. We had no debt. Right. So, but I also paid for all that. So the money was, I didn't have a big chunk of money sitting in savings. And so my best friend from, um, you know, best friend growing up approached me. He was in another state. He said, I had a really good year. I really want to invest in real estate. You know what you're doing in real estate. I don't know what I'm doing. And why don't we team up somehow? And I said, okay, here's the deal I'll offer. I'll pay for, I'll, I'll find the deals. I'll run point on the deals. I'll make sure I'll handle the refinances. I'll handle getting them rented. I'll handle the managers. I'll handle everything start to finish. All you need to do is put in the money. And so he put in the money. We did this first strategy thing and, you know, created over, over a million bucks in value um, outside of, you know, the initial investment and that kind of thing. So it worked out really well. He's really happy with it. The good, the best part about it is the properties are mostly in nine, I think like 80% of them are in Fort Worth, Texas. And the other 20% are here in Huntsville, which are really good markets appreciation wise. So we're getting the cash flow and the appreciation and I did that by just like putting in the hustle and the time and the knowledge and he put in the money and he's getting all of his money back before I take a penny out of it. So we're doing kind you, of Dave do you Ramsey. Do like hard money structure with him or how do you do that? What is your? No hard money structure. We just, our, our agreement was we're going to split everything 50, 50 after I pay him his initial investment back. So no, no preferred return or anything. That was just the, that was just my carrot to him is like, I'll handle all the work you put the capital in and we'll split it after you get your initial investment back. And, um, the cool thing is like, you know, each, each door is cash flowing over 200 bucks profit on average. And we're, we're using Dave Ramsey snowball on our properties. Right. So we're, Uh, we're, this is my favorite technique. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're taking, you know, 50 K a year and we're paying off our cheap, cheapest property. So then that property and people might say, well, why, why aren't you investing that in other stuff? Well, Cause that's just my stuff I own with him. Like I'm buying apartments on my own now. Like that's just, and this is what I love about the one to four family stuff. I think the one to four family stuff is a great retirement plan. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're trying to live off of it, you're looking for really high cash flow. That's a different, that's a different thing than what we did. We built a really good retirement plan. It's worth 4 million now based on what we think appreciate or what appreciation has been doing in these areas. We think by age 60, it's going to be worth around like 12 million bucks. 
And so when we split it and he gets, you know, his money back, we're going to have like six million bucks a piece roughly. And, um, if I make, if I completely fail at everything I do from now on and I get to that point, I'll have, I should have 6 million bucks there. You know what I mean? So pretty solid retirement feeling good for you guys. Pretty solid. And (laughs) yeah. And so now I'm buying apartments and hopefully that, that continues to just add on to it. So we're just stacking up our cash in there and paying stuff off and not taking profit until we have a lot of profit to take. So that's awesome. How many years did it take you to acquire your doors with him to get? Yeah. So, so it took about, we did most of it in 12 months. Um, yeah, we, yeah. we did. And we started, uh, I want to say we did, we did all of it in 18 months, but most of it came about in 12 months and that happened because of this. Um, so I'm friends with Brandon Turner from bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. He invited me down to Hawaii to this little real estate mastermind group that he did for the first time. It was a bunch of investors went down there and, um, while I was down there, we were working on our businesses and somebody in my group asked me like, what, what is holding you back from reaching your goals? And I said, well, I think it's gotta be capital. Yep. Like I can find the deals. I know how to do the deals, but I just don't feel like I I'm just running out of capital because the capital is tied up in the deals I'm doing and I can't do any more deals until I get the capital back. Right. Because right now and I'm out said, of money to do renovations. Like I'm like, I feel like I know I have a good crew. I yeah. have, I know how to find a deal. I know what works in this market. I've like narrowed yeah. out of my niche, but I'm like, you run out of money right. so fast. I think that's such you, a common problem. You run out of money. Yeah. And so I said capital and they were like, well, have you thought about borrowing private money? And I was like, yeah, I've thought about it, but you know, I don't really know anyone who wants to lend me private money. And they were like, well, have you asked anyone? <laughs> and I was like, no. And they said, well, why not? You know? And I said, I guess I have a limiting belief in my head that I, no one's going to want to do that, you know? Yep. So they said, well, ask, go, go out and ask 10 or 20 people and see what they say. Um, so the first person I asked, I said, uh, Hey, I'm thinking about trying to borrow some private money. This high net worth individual, you know, you about trying to borrow some private money. The guy said, how much do you want? He knew me, you know, and he said, yeah. he's tracking with what I've been doing. He's like, how much do you want? I was like, he's like, how about 200, $200,000? And I was like, sure. That'll work. <laughs> so, so anyway, first person I talked to wrote a check for 200 grand and that's what I used. And so I, I went from doing like two or three deals at once to doing like 10 deals at once. And so that's how we were able to do it so fast. And like, you know, the, the funny part about the whole thing was, you know, we had 10 deals that were being rehabbed and like vacant in March when COVID hit. And I was yeah. like, at the end of this, like refinance the whole thing portion of this deal and in March, all the banks decided we don't want, we don't know if we want to do any <laughs> more loans right now. So I had to battle through that. And that was like, that was another story in and of itself, but we got them all refied. And the funny thing was, did you solve it with lender, a small local bank? Uh, you know, the, here, I, I refied them all with a mortgage broker. And that's another tip I would give to people. You know, if you're getting a quote from just like one bank or whatever, you're limiting your stuff, like call a mortgage broker who can farm it out and get like 30 quotes and bring you the lowest one because these mortgage brokers have relationships and they may make a point on the loan or whatever, but that to me is money well spent if you're getting like half, you know, half a percent discount on your, on your loan. So a long story short, we had these 10 refis, um, you know, these properties are sitting vacant. They're in Fort Worth, Texas. They're all renovated. We had these 10 refis that were basically ready to go. We were just needing to go to closing and the lender and COVID happened. Okay. 
the lender calls me and it's like, we don't want to close the loans. We don't think that we can sell the loans on the secondary market. And I'm like, Whoa, you guys have already approved us, you know? And yeah. they're like, sorry, you know? And so we were like, okay, well back to the drawing board. So this is a crazy thing. We were approved at 5.5% for 30 years. These are all investment properties. Mm-hmm. Because we went back to the mortgage broker and went back through this whole process, we got all these things refied at 3.5%. So we say, saved I bet two, you found an interest rate lower. Yeah. We saved 2% on, on wow. $2 million on 30 year stuff. And I like ran the numbers. It's over a million bucks in interest that we just saved because this COVID thing happened. So, so you're like, what was like the worst day of your was, life turned into the best day of your life? Exactly. I was like, <laughs> this is like both horrible and amazing at the same time. So yeah, uh, yeah we have wild stuff happen to you and doing stuff like this. So this last couple of months, because of necessity, I've started asking about private money and doing that. Yeah. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. to do that and approach people. And you're like, you feel ridiculous, but also, you know, you have a business model, you know how you run your numbers and, you know, taking a risk. It's extremely uncomfortable the first couple of times you talk to people about it. It but is, again, but you know, so many people build their portfolios this way. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think the reason that I got the private money was because the individual had been tracking with my podcast. He'd been tracking with my work for some time. He had friends that knew me, you know, like it, I wasn't random. I wasn't a random person to him. Right. He had vetted me. And, and so that's like a reason that I think like you're doing, you're doing great by doing your podcast, putting your stuff out there. People get to build trust with you. And like, you know, if, as long as you're networking, like the key to, I think really scaling in real estate is networking. Like you got to get to know people and as they get to know you, they'll build comfort with you. And the crazy thing is like, since then that was probably, I guess that was like a year and a half ago. I've got people coming to me on a weekly basis now with private money. Oh, I'm wow. not asking, I'm not asking for it, but they're like, I listen to your podcast. Yeah. You know, we've connected on Instagram. Like I've got money to invest. I've got mm-hmm. money to lend you. And you know, so that, now I have another problem, which is I got to find more, I got to find multifamily deals to invest this capital because they've got money and I don't have the deal ready for them. So like now I'm dealing with another problem. So it's a good problem to have, but, but you know, it's, it's my problem initially was it can't find, don't have enough capital. Now my problem is like, I don't have enough deals. So. Right. um, But I think it's because you kind of hopped over this like limiting belief you had in your mind. Like if you hadn't ever made that step to say, you know, you, many people have probably gotten that advice from Brandon Turner or the bigger pockets crew saying, you know, go out and start asking people, but who actually does it? And who yeah. actually says, wow, this is going to be extremely uncomfortable. This is going to suck. And they're probably going to say no, but you walk in anyway. And you're like, you know, why not? I don't have any money right now. And I want to build this portfolio. Like this is my dream. Exactly. I want to go after it. Yep. And so I think that separates out people who scale and who don't is like that moment. Like you took a time to say, you know what? I'm actually going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think so exactly. many people probably listen to podcasts and don't take action. And so I guess yep. that's our action item of today's show is figure out what is limiting you in your mind from what you want to do next. Like because it, yeah. that's exactly for me. I was like, I was afraid to ask, but I had this plan, this vision. I'm like, we're going to do it. We're going to see because the person I lent or borrowed from exactly the same thing has been following our journey, has watched me, you know, run the numbers on all properties, has watched me figure out my niche. And so, you know, there's a lot of power yeah. in sharing your story too. 
and putting all your numbers out there and putting all your mistakes out there. So you're being really transparent and you build that relationship. And yeah. I've now had one person, one so far come and say, you know, Hey, I would do a deal with you, which is crazy. So, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so, yeah, just trying and- to do it cautiously and make sure I'm making good decisions and making sure I survive this house hack. So yeah. And like, to me, that's, that's kind of the proof that you're doing the right thing, Sarah, because like, as people build trust with you and see what you're doing, they're going to be more and more open to that because they're like, she's doing something right. And I want to be a part of it. Right. So, right. um, and I, I would, I would say like, if you're, if you're starting out and in investing and you want to be someone who could borrow private money, work on, work on being the kind of person that is trustworthy enough to others that they will want to do that. Right. So instead of working on just getting them somebody to say, yeah, I'll give you money, (laughs) work on, work on building rapport with people, work on the relationships and like build, you know, like honing your skills, your skill set in real estate before you start trying to borrow a lot of money, private money, because just as easy as they want, as they want to lend private money to you, if they believe in you, if they don't believe in you or don't know you or like view you as high risk, good luck. You know what I mean? So, and rightfully so, like who wants to take 200 grand of their money they work so hard to make and just blow it, you know? So it's, it's like, yeah. So anyway, anybody can do it though. Like anybody can get there and build that rapport. It's just like, I think, you know, it, it's playing the long game, you know? And I, it's really interesting too, because also like the adding value becomes really important too, because like, you also don't want to mess it up with lenders. And I think having that, um, I guess integrity really, where you're like, I'm not going to mess this up. Like I have a lot of pressure to do well, because I want to do more deals with you in the future. And so, um, it's interesting too, what kind of value propositions you can do because I just met, um, a younger investor in one town over for me, which is really weird because I live in the middle of nowhere and he reached out and he's. I'm going to walk him through all my properties and he's going to do my fall leaf cleanup. And it's crazy what you can do. And he's like, I don't have a lot to give. I don't have a lot of money. I really want to learn about real estate. I'm obsessed with bigger pockets. You know, you found a lawn guy. Do you need a leaf guy? And because I really want to see how you're doing your house hack. And I'm like, let's do it. Like there's so many ways you can add value to other people to learn their systems and kind of walk through what they're doing. So yeah, it's pretty cool. The world of networking out there, you never know who you're going to encounter. And also I want to dive in really quick. I'm not sure how much time you have, but we want to talk a little bit. We kind of wrapped up your financing piece, mm-hmm. but again, have you ever used hard money lenders at all? Because I know you talked about that a little bit on an episode where people are just really afraid to, you know, ask, have you ever used one of these people that have propositioned you so far besides your main investor? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty leery of people <laughs> contacting me on Instagram right? <laughs> saying they have private money or hard money. Cause yeah. Some of them don't seem so legit. Um, right. Like first thing I always do is try to look them up and figure out who in the world they are, you know? Um, yes. But um, I've, I've only used, I think I've only used maybe two or three different hard money lenders. Um, hard money, like borrowing hard money to me is just like getting a loan at the bank. It's just, it's just yeah. kind of facilitated different. So like you want to properly vet a hard money lender before you go and start giving them all your, it kind of feels like the wild west. <laughs> it, 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 it kind of is walking into a saloon with like one bullet in your gun and not knowing like who's on your side or not, you know? So like right. <laughs> you want to like know who the good guys and the bad guys are. Um, but it's, it's like, it's totally doable. Like you don't need to be afraid of hard money, but 
at the same time, like, you know, like you may get a quote from one hard money lender that's like, I'll charge two and a half points and 13% interest. And then you'll get, you'll talk to another one and they're like, I'll charge one point and 9% interest. And it's mm-hmm. like, you're getting the same amount of money. Right. And like, so to me, I was like, I just made it a, a goal to like get to know several different hard money lenders. And then I've had hard money lenders that I would bring a deal. They would approve me. We'd have everything ironed out. I would have a closing in 14 days or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we're good. And the 14 days comes and they're not ready to close. Yeah. And, and then my wholesaler is losing their mind. I mean, they're just <laughs> losing it. And I'm like, dude, it's the hard money lender. Like I've done everything. I'm waiting on them. And they're like, if you can't close, blah, 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 blah. You yeah. know, and you're like, I, I don't have, you know, all this money myself. You know, I'm getting a loan from this guy. I told you that up front. And so it's like, that's another thing is like working with wholesalers that like understand what you're doing and like yes. aren't losing their tempers at the drop of a hat. So managing like, expectations like, is an art. <laughs> yeah. Like properly vetting your wholesalers is a big deal too. Like you can have wholesalers that will totally try to screw you and you can have great wholesalers and great hard money lenders. So it's kind of like this whole value chain, like just vet each person and the whole thing and figure it out. So, but yeah, yeah. I also wanted to talk about one of your favorite episodes is where I was going through one of these tax episodes and I thought it was fascinating because I haven't talked about this yet in the podcast where, you know, with your appraisal background, you actually can negotiate your taxes too, or I guess like that was kind of in your skill set. So people don't realize that when you get like your tax statements, if your property taxes on a home are raised, that's a negotiable thing. And I was listening to your podcast and found that I'm like, oh my gosh, we have not covered this topic yet. And it's so good. So if you guys haven't listened to that episode of yours, it's really good because the guy does all different kinds of, you know, tax, yeah. he, his job tax is appeal. Like tax yep. appeal. Yes. That mm-hmm. is the term I'm looking for. Yes. And yes. so I did my first tax appeal when we bought our Ooh. duplex and it was amazing because you can provide comps and we totally won the appeal. And how much did it save you? Oh God, I can't even remember now. I have it somewhere in some spreadsheet yeah. that I was super proud of it, but that's been really early kind of on in our process, which cool. seems like forever ago, but really it's two years ago. But that's um, awesome. Yeah. So do you do all of your own tax negotiation now or do you use a company? So I, I just hire, like, like I said, 90% of our properties are in Fort Worth and I yeah. live in Alabama. So I don't have access to the data I need there to do the appeal. So I hired that guy and the guy you're talking about, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's on one of my episodes on the daily real estate investor. Um, But anyway, like their setup is like, they appeal it for you. They put together all the data and he's an appraiser. I mean, they just go hardcore after saving you money. And I think you get like 75% of the savings and you just cut them a check for 25% of the savings. And here's the insane thing. Like this is all in Texas where property taxes are pretty high. Yeah. So like if he saves me a thousand bucks a property um, or we'll say a thousand dollars net after I pay him and I've got, you know, 18 properties or 17 properties out there, he's saving me $17,000 a year. When you compound that over 30 years at like the rate of money, we're, you know, at the rate Mm -hmm. of return, we're compounding our money. It turns into like a million bucks. Yeah. You know, like it's a lot of money. So um, so appealing your taxes, especially if you have a decent size portfolio is a great way to save a lot of money and you can find people to appeal your taxes for you. That will just take a portion of, of the tax savings, which that takes it off you. Right. So 
Eric Stark is his name. If people want to look up that episode. And he's in Dallas, Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah. But he was fascinating to listen to because Mm -hmm. it was just such an interesting strategy that a lot of people don't talk about. And it's such a big money savings, just like you kind of broke that down. Um, To kind of give people a ballpark, what are your average property taxes in like your Dallas, Fort Worth area for that high? Oh man, I wish I could remember. I mean, I want to say they're like three to 4,000 bucks a year. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. where, so the County I'm in specifically in Indiana, where my house hack is, has very high taxes. Yeah. As well. That's a great one to appeal then. Yeah. Yep. And then, but then a couple of our other properties, one County over the taxes are almost like a third and it's crazy yeah. because they're right. They're neighboring counties and they're just structured differently. And so I've kind of mm-hmm. been wanting to dive into like better understanding the taxes around here because I, it blows my mind how big of a tax difference there is from County to County mm-hmm. on yeah, pretty similar weird. properties. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. And so we're notoriously just high. And then I also learned a new term that I want everyone to Google where um, you guys talk about the no disclosure states. So I learned that today that the state of Indiana is a no disclosure state. And so, you know, I got this letter in the mail, for example, from the county where my duplex is. And they said, hey, like, we're collecting data and we want to make sure that we accurately assess taxes for you. Like they always like come at it very friendly. Of course. Yeah. And they want you to give them your sale price and what your rents are. And they send you like a big little like spreadsheet thing. They want you to give them all your property data because Indiana is a no disclosure state and they just need data to assess your tax values. And I almost did it. Now I'm very grateful I didn't because I listened to this episode (laughs) and now I'm like, no, I'm going to keep these comps for myself because I want to make sure that, you know, taxes are a big chunk. Like I think everyone loves to hate taxes. So a really good, valuable episode. I fill them out and I put, I paid $1 for this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just like, they hate that throw that one away. (laughs) It's like Michael Scott on that episode signed Daffy Duck, you know, (laughs) No, I just throw them all the way. I don't even fill them out. Cause I'm like, I'm not giving you all that data so you can raise my taxes. Are you kidding me? Exactly. And it's just kind of crazy because I'm like, the market's already really hot. Please let no one be filling these out. But it was very, exactly. you get it in the mail and it sounds so friendly and you just don't really know what to do with it. So that kind of helps you understand as your, you know, tax season rolls around and you get all these forms what to do. So, yeah. All right. Um, so thank you so much for diving into oh, everything. Man. I've had you for over an hour now, so I really appreciate you taking the time. So I like been awesome. Yeah. And it's always fun. I think we'll probably do some more episodes in the future. I'm trying Let's to get some more niche, niche topics. So yeah, we'll probably connect that. a lot more. Maybe you, me and David can do like a joint podcast once you guys yeah. are best friends. <laughs> be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I like to wrap up my episode with a question. And so my big thing that I've been doing 2020 is like my outsourcing year where I'm trying to, again, work outside or kind of on my business. And so I do that more on the personal side where I have someone mowing my lawn and I have a house cleaner because I want to spend as much time with my daughter as I can because Love I'm it. so busy in my full-time job. So what are things, what are your favorite things to outsource? So I got people cutting my grass. Um, I have third-party property management for my properties. Um, I have a virtual assistant in my appraisal business. So you know, you I literally that? have to, That's interesting. Uh, Fiverr. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. I got on Fiverr and typed in, you know, appraisal and found people who specialize in appraisal work and I was like sweet sweet done yeah this person is a this person is a has an a, a master's degree in engineering 
and is working with me on appraisal stuff. And of course I have to like pull the comps and you know, she just helped right. me with like data entry kind of stuff, yeah. but awesome. I mean, saves me so much time and I've got, you know, I'm building a multifamily team right now to go take down apartment deals. And I've got an analyst on my team that's running numbers. I'm working with them on that. I'm, my goal is to, my goal is to build a system for everything I'm doing. And, you know, I, I even would like, once I get to a certain point with all of my assets to hire an asset manager to manage my property managers. Yep. And so that's another way to like take myself out of it. Like I'd like to have it kind of like Dave Ramsey talks about, like, go, you know, have something in the top drawer you can open if like you got killed in a car wreck or whatever, somebody else could pick it up where you left off. Like I'd like to have my real estate portfolio situated where if something happened to me, it would continue without right. notice me without a bump. That's a really good anything, point. So. Cause I've had this thought where I'm like, if something happened to me, <laughs> I don't know what would happen yeah. to the world. Like it would just come into a crashing halt because yeah. everything's in my head or on my Google drive. And right. Yeah. And right it's now not my an efficient system to have. <laughs> yeah. Right now my, my, all my real estate would just continue on. Right. Cause it's all being managed in a way that doesn't require me to be there. And if yeah. like you had like, this is how I think about it. If you had $200,000 of passive income coming in, quote unquote passive. Yeah. You were having to manage the properties and answer phone calls for two hours a day or whatever. You still have a ton of time, right? But what if you could make 160,000 and answer no calls and not even look at the stuff? Right. Would you, would you give $40,000 to someone else to take that off your plate? I would. I would. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? A lot of people wouldn't. They're like, they just got to have control yeah, but they're never going to have that time freedom. Like to me, time freedom is the ultimate thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so like I'm willing to pay that 40,000 to have that person dealing with all of it and me not involved at all. Good for you to let go of is yeah. helpful. So absolutely. It's huge. Any wise words to anybody? I always like to try to give some wise words to new people starting out. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, if you can dream it, you can build it. Right. So, and I have a book titled yep. that dream, yeah. dream it and build it. But, but literally, it, it literally is the case. Like you can, I'm not saying like if you're, you're five foot, you know, unathletic, you can play in the NBA, but I'm saying if you have the intellectual ability to think and reason for yourself and you want to be a successful real estate investor, you can totally do it. Yeah. Um, and you can do it on whatever scale you want, but you just have to put the work in to get there. So don't be afraid to dream big and go after it. And yeah, and I would love to connect with any of your listeners. I'm on Instagram at daily real, real estate investor. And I've got that. And podcast, you, you can find real your book investor. on Amazon. Is that Yeah, correct? you can find Are my you... book on Amazon. The book's titled dream it and build it how to crush your real estate investing goals, but you can Google dream it and build it. It'll pop I really there. like your common so. sense approach too. I think that's like the most, the thing you read most in your feedback is you're just very straightforward with things and the information. Oh, There's you. not a lot of like caveats and nuances. It's just very, it's an easy to read, easy to understand. And I think that's kind of similar to your podcast. It's very easily to digest and you're straight to the point and it's well, a thanks. really good resource. So I appreciate, I appreciate getting that. to know you and I yeah. can't wait to, you know, kind of be friends and hopefully post COVID we will actually yes. get to meet and connect and become yes. better friends. And I got, so. I got to have you on my show. So yes. look forward to that too. So. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank cool. you so much. Josiah. Right. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Thanks Sarah. Bye. See ya. Gosh, did you all just love this episode? I hope you're enjoying each of these podcasts as much as I am. If you are, please go subscribe to the podcast and spread the word by sharing your thoughts on Instagram. 
If you are not already aware, I'm pretty much obsessed with Instagram. So seriously, come find me. Instagram is the place where I'm going to announce every new podcast episode. I also share new products as I post them into my store. And I also am just going to be oversharing way too much about my personal life as a DIY landlord and a working boss mom. Thanks so much for listening.